Hello and welcome. This is Karen Motokaitis, and you're listening to How She Really Does It, the place where inspiration and possibility meet on KDRT 95.7 FM. You dream of obtaining your dream job, but what happens when the dream job is no longer your dream and you leave without knowing where you are headed? Tess Vigland recently wowed the crowds at WDS, the World Domination Summit hosted by one of my former guests, Chris Gulabu. Tess's speech at WDS, What the Hell Are You Doing? A Serious Stare Down the Barrel of an Ordinary Life, was raw and ripe with vulnerability. She talked about her dream of being a host on the national radio show, Marketplace Money. She obtained her dream job and left when she had too much self-respect to stay. I will have links to Tessa's WDS speech on my website. Unlike the movie story endings we so often like to watch, Tess left her dream job without a safety net and without knowing what was next. On the WDS stage, Tess let down her armor and shared with us her real journey. Tess and I will talk about the truth about leaving your dream job and figuring out what's next. Tess, hello and welcome to my show. Oh, thank you so much. It's my absolute pleasure to be here. So with WDS, you show up at this event. This this isn't like really your people, right, who have followed you. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) What made you say yes when you got the invitation to come and speak? Um, I said, well, at first I said no. (laughs) Um, My friend J.D. Roth, who has been involved in this event uh, from the beginning, he and I met at a personal finance conference uh, a couple of years ago. Uh, That's the subject that I used to cover on Marketplace Money. And I went to this conference of bloggers. And he was there, and I knew who he was because he's famous in that world. Mm -hmm. And so we kind of kept in touch um, over those couple of years. And then when he found out that I was leaving Marketplace, you know, he contacted me and, and we chatted for a little bit. And then he got in touch a couple of months later and said, you know, would you come and speak about your decision to leave, um, why you did it, and, you know, what you think you're going to do next. And I was like, well, um, what is this? World domination? <laughs> what? What? <laughs> What are you talking about? That sounds kind of weird um, because I had never been before. And so I looked at it online and, um, you know, saw that essentially the, um, you know, the, the tagline for it is how to be remarkable in a conventional world. Mm-hmm. And I wrote back to him um, after probably a week. And usually I don't wait that long to get back to people, but I really thought about it and this was probably in, I don't know, January. So I had, I gave notice in August of 2012. I gave them three months notice. So I didn't leave until November. So I was about two months out of the job. And I wrote back and I said, you know, JD, this sounds really interesting, but I don't feel remarkable anymore. And I don't know, you know, why anyone would want to listen to me now because I'm not, you know, I'm not the person I used to be. You know, I'm not this famous national broadcaster anymore. Um, famous, by the way, within the very small world of public radio, you know. But still, you know, I've, I had been around for a long time, so a lot of people knew me across the country. And, I, you know, I just wrote back and I said, I just, I don't know why anyone would want to listen to this anymore because I'm, you know, I'm not that tough big one. And he wrote back and he said, that's exactly what I want you to talk about. <sighs> And he, and I said, why, what? And, um, you know, he kind of explained that, you know, that, that a lot of what the world nomination summit is about is about getting out of your comfort zone and how you adjust to being out of it. And, um, and just talking about life experiences. And so I finally broke down and I said, okay. And then, uh, so basically I had six months to write a speech. And six months went by, and I didn't <laughs> write a speech because I didn't know what to talk about because I was having such a, 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 I mean, not a terrible time, but a rough time adjusting to not being, you know, in a steady job anymore and essentially freelancing where you have feast and famine, and it's just a roller coaster of that, as I've talked about in the speech. 
And I, I didn't want to write about that, you know, because it sounds horrible. And why would anyone want to hear about that? Um, but part of the journey was that I was actually up for a very, very big job, uh, which was Weekend All Things Considered on NPR. And I made it all the way to the final round. <coughs> Excuse me, I'm so sorry. I'm dealing with a nasty cold. Um, and then a, just a little over a week before WDS, I found out that I didn't get it. And, you know, that was a lot of what the talk was about, but I didn't write it. I did not write the speech until five or six days before I delivered it. And I just basically, you know, wrote it in two days and it was very emotional. Clearly all of that, everything I said was very near the surface for me. And at that point, first of all, I had to get a speech done, um, and then second of all, I thought, you know, I have nothing to lose by just putting it out there and telling everybody what this has been like. But I got to tell you, I had no idea, no idea what this speech would do. It is literally the speech of a lifetime for me. And I had no idea that would be the case. But isn't, thank goodness that you didn't think that that was going to be the case. Because if you had right. thought this because is going to be, it would have been a different speech. Yeah, it would have been different. You would have been very attached to the outcome and probably had a lot more armor up. Yeah, I think you're right. I think you're absolutely right. And I had no armor. I mean, <laughs> you know, you heard the speech. Yes, I put it all out there, and I'm surprised I didn't cry. I'm really glad I didn't. You know, in front of three thousand people. But the first. So, so, so I finished the speech like five or six days before that Sunday, and I didn't say it, I didn't read it out loud until Thursday night, July fourth. So Independence Day, and I was at my parents' house in Portland, and it was just my parents and my husband, and I broke down so many times while I was saying it out loud. You know, the very first time you say out loud, "I don't feel remarkable anymore," mm-hmm. it just hits you. And I just stopped and wept. And, um, you know, I got through it. And they were wonderful, of course. It's my parents and my husband. Um, and then, you know, I did it a couple of other times with friends before that Sunday. And both those times I broke down, too, because it was so personal and so gut-wrenching for me to say some of these things. And then that Sunday, I was like, oh, my God, people do not want to hear this. I cannot believe I'm actually going to go out on stage and spill my guts like this. But from the first moment I stepped on stage, and I told, you know, this little radio joke that I tell pretty much every speech I ever give, which are usually mostly about business and the economy, um, you know, I just felt that the audience was with me. And I don't know why, and I don't know what that was, but that whole room, all of a sudden, those 3,000 people just shrank down to about three. And I felt that. And I just felt like I was just talking to about three people and just telling them my story. And, you know, I mean, somehow, some way, I spoke to people. And I don't know why, because it's just my little story. But it is so gratifying. And I'm so grateful to all 2,800 people who sat there and I could just feel them coming along with me. I could feel it. And that makes all the difference when you're telling your story. Well, and, you know, and I was sitting there in the audience and I'd seen it was like, I knew you were coming up next on the stage and I knew you had done public radio. Um, but, and, and I didn't know what it was going to be about, right? There were a lot of kind of in that world, in the WDS world, there were some big names. There was the Jonathan Fields, who's been on the show, or Gretchen Rubin, she's been on the show. Right. You know, there were those, there were those big blogging people, <laughs> A-listers, as we would call them, so that that group, that right. tribe would be very well aware of, right? And then you show up, you're kind of not part of that tribe necessarily, or now you are, but you weren't, right? And Oh, totally not. You, you show up and you and you start to talk and you, you you did I mean you crafted your story so elegantly I almost didn't I was too afraid to even ask you to be on my show I was like oh my gosh I can't ask her to be on my show but um oh, but, but I'm I'm glad that I did but you the the story that you 
told us and that you opened yourself up. And I think that when I sat there in the audience, you know, journalists are supposed to not have an opinion and not really show feelings. And I felt like that armor was gone. And it was, you were just there, you were real, and you were having a conversation and you were being open and candid instead of, oh, don't worry, one door closes, another door will open. It's all going to be peachy keen. The stuff that we typically hear. And, I, you know, I specifically shied away from that. And, you know, part of it is because I am a pretty hard-bitten, cynical person because I am a journalist. <laughs> and most of us are. Um, I'm a very nice person. But when it comes to, oh, how should I put this, touchy-feely mm-hmm. stuff, like a lot of what I've heard at WBS, I just, that's not my thing. Mm-hmm. Um I am not a spiritual person necessarily. I am not one to talk about how, you know, when when a door opens or a door closes, a window opens. Mm-hmm. You know, I just that's 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 not my thing. So what I did had no prescriptions in it. I had no bromides for how you get through something like this. But I just told a story. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I've asked people, and I would be curious, you know, turn, turn this around on you, you know, why you think it resonated. But from what I gather, I think people just wanted to hear someone say, this is really hard. And all these people who just tell you, oh, just quit your job, and the next great thing will come because that's what life is for. Mm-hmm. Huh. That is not the way it happens. And I think a lot of people who have done it and who have been through it know that. Now, maybe they're much more prepared to hear some of those other messages of encouragement and, yes, you can do it and yada, yada, yada. That's not me. And so that was not a part of my speech. Now, once, you know, I did tell people a couple of things, um, you know, that, that I had sort of learned, I guess, uh, along the way. But, you know, this was not a five-point plan. It was not a ten-point plan for how to do this mm-hmm. because I don't have one. Mm-hmm. And, frankly, I'm not at the end of it yet. Um, so, you know, I think that there is a craving sometimes to just get a reality check and hear from someone who, I mean, I have been very, very successful in my career, mm-hmm. highly successful. Um, and to hear from someone like me who, you know, it seemed like I could probably go out and get whatever job I wanted. You know, no, it's not that easy, in part because I don't want to just take any old job, um, and in part because I'm still trying to figure out what I want to do next. And, you know, that I kept saying that, you know, the question people kept asking me was, you know, uh, what are you going to do next? And I was like, I have no idea. And then they kept asking me, what do you want to do? I have no idea. And people are flummoxed by that answer. They don't know what to do with that. You know, wait, I mean, you haven't been dreaming about going and, you know, starting your own Etsy site? You know, you haven't been dreaming about going and, um, you know, taking cooking classes for six months. You know, no. You know, I up and quit, and I did not have a plan. Mm-hmm. And I had my dream job, so I didn't spend a lot of time thinking about what my dream job would be, because mm-hmm. I had it. So, um you know, I, I think that I think that was a lot of it. People just people appreciated the reality check. But why why do you think people responded? I I, I think we I think there's a hunger. I mean, my sh- so basically my show is about you know bringing these successful people on, and really we it's an hour. So we can really dive deep, right? So that we can really go, okay, well, you're successful, but why were you successful? Because I think in general, the mass has these perceptions and this is that, oh, well, of course, Tess is really successful, right? She had the golden wand bestowed upon her. And yeah, there was hard work involved, but of course for her, but that's not possible for me. So one of the questions I always ask my listeners is that, you know, looking at listening to my guests, listening to their stories and understanding that, you know, success or greatness comes through deep struggle. It comes through tremendous struggle, right? And people fall down and they get back up and they fall down and they get back up and resilience is formed. And, And then that's the windows of possibility. And that's what each guest represents. And I think that's, so there's this hunger, I think, and maybe I'm biased because this is my show, 
that <laughs> people want to know that it's not this perfectly packaged media, you know, PR project, right? I think right. We've, we've, we've spent the last, I don't know, we've spent a long time, decades, you know, watching people that are really successful, very, you know, polished, right? And then why right. we like the scandal so much is we're like, oh, see, they are messed up or, you know, because yeah, we just, yeah, yeah, yeah. we want real people. And, and like, so you having a cold today and me with a little bit of congested in the head, we're two real women who are just trying to get things done in our life. We can't right. wait for like right. the most perfect moment, right? And, and I think, so I think for you, why people resonated and why they, I mean, you're a great storyteller, but that you were real and that you said, look, it's not about leaping and then the parachute will, you know, automatically right. show up, right? <laughs> It's, and, and, and it's in, and, and I think we're hungry for that message, especially coming out of this deep recession and, um, where, yeah. you know, cause in the, when I started the show in 2006, there was a lot of just leap, jump and the net will appear, right? There was a lot of those, a lot of books like that and a lot of that. And now we've gone through this recession and people are starting <laughs> to rethink things a bit. It's like, okay, there's that Absolutely. leaping, but there's the practical spot part of it. Yes. Yes. And, I mean, I am among the people who over the last, you know, five or six years since, since the huge economic collapse, you know, on my show, we would tell people, you know, it's not a good idea to leave your job right now. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, if you are out of work for, you know, six months or more, make sure that you are networking and make sure that you are, you know, maybe starting a blog and maybe, you know, maybe you're going and volunteering somewhere and making those connections and, and all this stuff. And, and the message was, you're an idiot if mm -hmm. you just up and leave. Mm -hmm. And I look back on that now and I guess, I mean, we are definitely coming out of the recession. It's still not easy out there for a lot of people. But, you know, I guess I would say that I wish that I had spent more time on the show talking people through their options instead of just saying, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it. Mm -hmm. Because I don't think that that was healthy. And I don't think it, you know, hopefully it's also not always based on, hopefully that decision is not always based on, you know, on, on financial concerns. Mm -hmm. Now, of course, that is, that is also a reality check. And one thing I didn't talk about in, in my speech um, is that I was very lucky, and I am very lucky, that my husband can pay the mortgage. Mm -hmm. So I, I was the primary breadwinner. So, you know, our, our, our lifestyle and our household income took a huge hit when I left. Mm -hmm. But, you know, again, I'm very lucky that, that, you know, he is able to support the household for some amount of time. And I have had piecemeal work. It's not like I haven't been doing anything. Mm -hmm. But, um, but, you know, it's, to just be told over and over and over again for so many years that you you best not do what's best for you mm -hmm. is, I don't know that that's very healthy. And um, that's the message that we all in the media gave everybody for so long. Um, so, you know, I was among those people who was like, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it. And now I would, you know, I would make that, I think, a more complex uh, discussion. Well, um, yeah, you know, I, I'm, yeah. I'm really practical and I'm really good with money. And then I was totally fast tracked in my own career where I was, you know, tenured at the age of 29, you know, in a very well paying job as a college professor at a community college. And, you know, yeah. and one of my probably deepest longings was to have security. And so here now I have security, right? It's right. Finances, the, the economy is really not going to do much. I mean, there's a little <laughs> tweaks, you know, from for my, some of my former colleagues, but they're pretty, they're pretty safe and, and pretty solid, right? Over the long. Yeah. And, and then I left and, um, and, and to go through that adjustment. And I know for me, and I think this is the, and so for me personally leaving and maybe the WDS audience had a lot of people who have left their jobs, right? And when right. you were talking about like, you know, oh my gosh, you were like, I'm awesome. And then tomorrow, oh my gosh, what did I do wrong? Right. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah. yes, she's telling people the truth because so often we think, <laughs> you know, here's Tess Vigland. 
she's she's successful, right? She talked to nine right. million people, you know, a week. So she's right. just this major star. She can go and find the next job. She's going to have no doubts. And you're on that stage saying, I messed up. Maybe there's something right. wrong with me. You know, maybe I'm not good enough, right? All those questions oh, yeah. that, and like I have chills right now as I talk about it, but that's what I think people connected with, right? With that, that right. up and that down. And that I think is the real journey instead of, oh, leap and everything will take care of itself. It's hard work. It's a struggle. It's, and I think the hard work is managing those, those gremlin thoughts in your mind. Absolutely. That is the hardest part mm -hmm. because you, you really start to question your own sanity. And I touched on that in the speech where, you know, I really, I've had, well, I'll back up for a second. I've had a very, very um, lucky life, a successful life. I have not had, you know, huge um, problems. I have, I'm lucky my parents are still around. I did, you know, I went through uh, cancer about 10 years ago. Uh, but I got through that, and, you know, it, it didn't destroy me. Um, but I've been very lucky in my career. Well, lucky in hard work. I mean, mm -hmm. it's not all luck. But, you know, I've never been without a job. And I was highly successful, and I made pretty much made all my goals by the time I was in my early 30s. Um, so this is kind of the first time that I have been through real deep, self-doubt about my decision-making abilities. Mm -hmm. You know, what did you do leaving this job? This job that other people would go for. Mm -hmm. This job that other people look at and say, you are one of the luckiest people in the world. And it was. Mm -hmm. um, and there are all kinds of reasons why I left. But, you know, then you start, you know, you, your brain just starts to, to fuss with you. Mm -hmm. And and you start to think, is there something wrong with me? Why did I do this? Why did I think that it was going to be okay? And that's really tough to deal with, especially if you're ambitious, if you're smart, mm -hmm. if you've you know spent a whole life being you know knowing what you wanted to do, and then all of a sudden you start asking yourself these really really tough questions that nobody wants to ask themselves. Um, even with everybody else around you saying, no, 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 it was the right thing to do. It'll work out. It'll be fine. And you're like, uh-uh, what are you talking about? I was crazy. I was totally crazy. I was out of my mind. Um, and, you know, but then you have also these other days where you're like, okay, yeah, it was great. It was the perfect thing to do. <laughs> In fact, that Sunday, the, the day I gave the speech, I was like, oh, this is why I left. <laughs> you know, this is exactly, I am awesome, I am talented, and people love me, and this is exactly why I had to leave my job, and for days like this, and then I swear, I swear to you, on Monday, I was like, what am I going to do now? Mm -hmm. What happens now? Wait, that was just one day. I don't have a project lined up right now. What do I do? And, you know, so it's just constantly like that, and I think life is like that, and you know, as a general rule, maybe we just don't feel it as much because you know there are more distract. Excuse me, there are more distractions. Uh, if you know, if you're in a steady job, but um, it is not easy. It's, and you start asking yourself the really tough questions that you don't want to have to look at yourself and answer. But isn't it more real and more like? Um, just being conscious and really connecting with yourself and really going deeper and allowing maybe for more meaning when you can look at yourself and ask those hard questions. Yes, absolutely. And, you know, that's been part of, part of my struggle is allowing those questions to come to the surface and, you know, now talking about them, uh, which I didn't do a whole lot of except with very, very close friends over the last, you know, nine, ten months. Um, you know, I didn't, I certainly had the outward appearance of being, you know, really enjoying that I, you know, had left Marketplace and that, you know, I was on my own. And certainly if you looked at my Facebook page, you would have no idea that I was having a tough time. Um, and of course, I mean, that's, <laughs> Facebook, Facebook is not real life anyway. But, <laughs> you know, I, I did, I really did not, I didn't share with people the struggle, the real struggle that I was having. 
um, particularly the internal struggle with, you know, who are you now? And what did you do, you idiot? Um, and, you know, now I'm talking about it because people want to hear it. And that's remarkable to me that people want to hear that story. Um, but it's also a lesson that there is a craving for realness, for vulnerability, for honesty. And I don't know why we're not more honest about these things. I wish that we were, because then it would make it easier for all of us. Um, but I kind of feel like that's, that's what I'm taking away from this whole experience of, of WBS and getting on stage and the, the unbelievable ride that I've had since then, um, you know, just in the last two and a half weeks have been among the most extraordinary of my life. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, I guess, I guess I will be something of an evangelist for openness and transparency. And, you know, if, if I can go out and tell people that, you know, after 20 plus successful career, uh, I left and it was miserable, <laughs> mm-hmm. but I'm getting through it. Um, you know, Certainly others can too. Well, and I and think it makes it easier. It does. It makes it easier. It's it, people want to know that their own struggle, it's just not them. Right? It's like, oh, right. somebody else is having a hard time too. I it's you know, because if we have like one of my uh former limiting beliefs was I was a loser, which didn't really make sense when you would look at kind of my lifetime achievements and right. You know, and, and I mean I was a national champion as a swimmer, so it's hard to be a loser when you're a national champ. But I had this core belief, right? <laughs> And, yeah. um, but when, so when you have these self doubts about yourself and you think, oh, and we can, we compare our insides, right. To everybody else's outsides. Yep. And, yep. and, and when you have that realness out there and I, and I, and I wouldn't say maybe the masses, I don't know. I know my tribe and I know me and I know the people I connect with, but there is definitely a niche of people that just want to know that they're, that they're not alone. That and I think this is why we have support groups and we have all these different things because people just want to know, okay, am I? Because everybody's always wondering, am I doing enough? Am I good enough? Yes. Right. Yes. 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 Exactly. And you know, I think, I think part of it is that as we go through our lives, we all want to be unique. Of mm-hmm. course, we all want to be recognized for being our own selves and having our own experience through life. But I think there's also a craving to know that other people are going through the exact same thing that we are. Mm-hmm. So there's this, there's this tension within us to want to be unique and individual, but also to be a part of that whole and to know that the thoughts that are going through our head and the experiences that we're having, the tough times, that other people have been there and are there as well. Mm-hmm. And I think that's something that, that I accidentally tapped into. Um, and also this notion that we are always constantly told that we have to get better and better and better at things. Mm-hmm. And that the next thing that we go to has to be bigger and better. And for someone like me, who, as I said, I pretty much reached the top of my profession or pretty close to it mm-hmm. at the age of 32. Um, and I stayed there for 10 years, 11 years. And now people are like, well, you know, your next thing is going to be even bigger. And, and I'm like, well, what, but what if it's not? Isn't that okay too? Mm-hmm. What if I, I mean, what if I decided that I wanted to go work at Starbucks for five years? Mm-hmm. You know, because I don't have a five-year plan at this point. Mm-hmm. I don't have a five-week plan. <laughs> um, so what's wrong with that? And, you know, there is this pressure, I think, in our society to constantly have that next goal, to have that next dream that we're dreaming, and to constantly be, you know, striving for that next great thing that we're going to do. And sometimes good enough is really quite good enough. Mm-hmm. And what's wrong with that? I just read an article in the Wall Street Journal, actually, just within the last few days, talking about people who didn't want promotions mm-hmm. because they loved the job that they're in. But there is this pressure, 
I think, you know, there's a corporate pressure, there's a societal pressure to constantly be wanting to grab that next rung of the ladder. And sometimes you just don't want to. Mm-hmm. But people look askance at that. And, you know, I think I'm living that on, on kind of a different scale that, you know, I had this fame and I had a nice salary and, and I just up and left it. And the first thing people want to say is, oh, come on, just make that next thing happen. You can do it. And as I said, <laughs> I just want to punch them in the face. Well, no, maybe, maybe I won't. Maybe I am not going to top it. Maybe that is the biggest, boldest, coolest thing I will ever do. Mm-hmm. And I have to learn to be okay with that. I think, you know, my friends and my family, they'll love me whatever I do. Um, but it's people looking in from the outside who are like, well, but, 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 but. And that's, you know, I think that's something that a lot of people have to struggle with. You know, some, sometimes good enough just is good enough. And you have to let yourself be there. Well, in a sense. It makes total sense. And I think, well, I think one is, again, we have been conditioned, right, growing up, that what what is success? It's more money, bigger house, everything's more, more, more to the point where we supersized our food and then now ourselves, right? Because in in our culture, it's about more, more, more. Climb that ladder, get higher and higher, right? And and always be striving and always have goals and always be trying to move forward. And my question is, what about just being? Yeah. Well, I mean, you even look at, you know, this, this, the world domination summit mm-hmm. and, you know, the, this whole how to be remarkable mm-hmm. in a conventional world. Why do I have to be remarkable? And how are you defining that? Mm-hmm. And I do think, I, one of the questions I want to ask um, over the next, year or so as, as I'm now writing a book about this. <laughs> um, I got a book deal two weeks, less than two weeks after the speech. How cool. um, yeah. Um, the editor was in the audience. So oh. how's that for <laughs> serendipity? Yeah. So one of the questions I want to ask is, you know, where does this pressure come from to be remarkable mm-hmm. and how do we define that? And how do we get ourselves to a place where we're okay with whatever that definition is for us? Mm-hmm. And it doesn't necessarily mean that you have to be somewhere at the top of a game. Because that's a very rare error. That's, you know, that's the stratosphere. And it's hard to figure out where your place is along that continuum of being remarkable. But we are constantly told and bombarded. And and I don't know if it's a uniquely American thing. It's something I want to explore. Mm-hmm. But that you have to constantly be striving. And sometimes you just want to sit back and say, you know what? I don't feel like striving right now. Mm-hmm. And that's kind, of, that's kind of where I have lived over the last six months or so. I, I don't, you know, I'm fine. I'm not fine with where I am because it's very uncomfortable. And I don't like not having a job. But. Let me be okay with that for maybe just a little while. Mm-hmm. Let me just sit with that for a little while. Um, but, you know, that's, that, that doubt starts to creep in and people are constantly saying, so what are you going to do? What are you going to do? What are you going to do? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, now I do. I'm going to write a book. But I don't, in, in a year, that's going to be over. So I will suddenly have to ask myself this question again. Um, well, in a that year, that should be okay. Yeah, in a year, the the writing part might be over, but the the uh, then you have the marketing part of the book. So, well, that's true. <laughs> that's true. Right. So maybe, maybe a year and a half, I'll have to ask this question again. We'll see. I don't know, but part of it is you have to just you have to just let it go and say, I don't know what's what my life is going to look like in a year. I don't know what it's going to look like in five years, and. You're constantly getting that pressure to figure all that stuff out, right? At work, mm-hmm. who hasn't had to come up with that five-year goal? <laughs> and I hate that. I absolutely hate that. I never had a good answer for that. And it's, it's frustrating because you feel like you're expected to constantly have that, what you're going to do this next year, what you're going to do in two years and five years and ten years. 
why? Why can't we just enjoy this as we're going along? And that doesn't mean you're not ambitious. It just means that you're taking your time to figure it out and maybe giving yourself a roadmap. Roadmaps are good, so you don't mm-hmm. get to be totally lost. But it's also fun sometimes just to hit the road and not know where you're going. Or be willing to get off because you see something interesting. Right. right? right. But if you're, right. if you're so invested in that destination, right, like if you went to WGS and said, okay, I'm going to give the speech and then I'm going to boom, 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 <laughs> boom, you know, or, or even been attached to the outcome, maybe the speech wouldn't have been as good. Maybe the editor may not have wanted to do it. You know, or even if you had gotten in your own way and said, no, JD, I'm not coming. Nothing's wrapped up yeah. perfectly. Or I didn't get the job, so now I can't show up and I'm going to be a no-show as a right. speaker. Well, it's, funny. it's funny. I've had uh, a few people, well, I've had dozens and dozens of people write to me with their own stories of you know, relating to mine. Um, and a couple of people have said, you know, selfishly, I'm really glad that you didn't get the job, the <laughs> NPR job, because then it would have been it would have been that happy ending story mm-hmm. that everybody hears, mm-hmm. and that's exactly the opposite of what my story was. And because of that, people can relate to it. I think much more than had I gotten this big job and said, you know, yes, you should take a leap and you'll struggle for a few months and then you'll get something even better. Mm-hmm. Uh, nope. I, I, yeah, and I, I do think that had that happened, I don't think the audience would have resonated and you probably wouldn't have your book right. deal. Right, exactly. Right? You'd be too busy exactly. try, trying to get ready for your next job, right? Yep. And think how many yep. more people that you're going to have the opportunity to <laughs> influence now with the book deal, with, you know, with people wanting to, you know, showcase you on their shows, their blogs, whatever. It's like, you right, know, people, right. your journey, your story is going to make um, a difference in people's lives. I hope so. And if that is the case, that is, that is the best gift I could ever give myself. Mm-hmm. You know, that's the best thing that could ever happen to me is to have some sort of positive impact on others. You know, that, that's, I mean, we all want to do that, right? But to have it on that kind of scale is, is beyond remarkable. Mm-hmm. And it's very, very touching and surprising. Mm-hmm. Well, because we don't, measure, we don't usually measure success that way, right? We right. measure success again at the numbers. And, and so just to clarify something, I'm half Korean. So I had the tiger mom. She did everything, to, uh, you know, to create the best circumstances for me. So I, I owe her a lot of gratitude and hence the reason I was tenured at 29, right? Very ambitious, like, yeah. get this done. Yep. And then I was the queen of certainty. Like security was way more important than health, self-care, anything. It was, it was, you know, and I knew how much I was going to make and, and I had it all mapped out and I knew, you know, when I could, the different pinpoints when I could retire. I mean, I was 20 years, yep. 29 years old looking at this, Right. But it had such tunnel vision and then, and my, and you know, it was not a good fit, but letting go of that queen of certainty and working on resilience and having an agile mind. Right. And so that has helped me. So what, you know, when I go places, I'm much more open, you know, and I, you know, and more open in the sense that I can sit there and I'll listen to you speak and go, oh my gosh, this woman is incredible. I need to share with my audience and then I'm like, don't even think about it, Corinne. She's a major, you know, public radio host. What are you thinking, right? And I had my own self-dialogue. And finally, one day when I felt a little yeah. more courageous, I sent you an email and boom, and here you are. But yeah. that's, the re- that's the real life is that no, no matter, you know, and, and I'll have friends or listeners who say, well, you can, you get big name guests all the time. Well, yeah, but I still have a lot of self-doubt. It's just sometimes I just continue forward because I just do. Yeah. And this happened to me just just through a book deal. So I give a speech, just, just a speech. That's all I did. I just gave a speech. And the reaction to it is beyond anything that I could possibly imagine. And for two weeks, I have strangers from all over the world writing me and telling me, you know, what I did for them in their lives. And my speech, you know, goes viral on the Internet. And I get this book deal, Right. Less than two weeks after the speech. That doesn't happen. Mm -hmm. This does not happen to people. People spend weeks and months 
putting proposals together Years. and waiting to hear back. I mean, this is unbelievable and so lucky and so fortunate. And this happens on a Thursday. I get this book deal. Mm-hmm. By Saturday, all I'm thinking is, oh, my God, I have to write a book now. And people are going to expect it to have the same effect as this speech. That speech is as good as it's going to get for me. I am never going to be able to top it. I am <laughs> never going to have that kind of reaction to anything else that I ever do. I mean, couldn't I just let myself enjoy it for at least three days? Mm-hmm. No. 48 hours later, I'm in this, I'm sucking myself into this vortex of self-doubt and questioning and, I, you know, what is that? Just chill out and enjoy the ride, Tess. Um, but, you know, that's just, that's part of who I am. It sounds like it's kind of part of who, who you are, and I'm sure a lot of other people out there. And you just have to let yourself go through that a little bit. But I am trying to learn as I go along, and I'm going to learn from the fact that I didn't let myself just enjoy that for a couple of days. And, you know, next time it happens, which it will, something cool will come along again, I'm going to let myself revel in it for a little longer than I did this time. Mm-hmm. Well, and I, and I think, um, do you have concerns of ever being just too arrogant or of being arrogant? Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. And I, I was very concerned about that when J.D. told me to just tell my story. Mm-hmm. You know, I was like, but all this is going to, all, all that's going to happen is gonna, I'm going to come off as self-important because <laughs> I'm spending 40 minutes just talking about myself. Mm-hmm. Who wants to hear me talk about myself for 40 minutes? Um, 3,000 people. I, apparently, <laughs> yes. And, you know, it's something that when I did a couple of rehearsals for friends and family before that Sunday, that was my first question. I said, does this sound self-important? Because I do not want to come off as arrogant or, oh, look at me, you know, I was up for this awesome job and I'm super awesome. I didn't, that was a constant concern. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, they said no, which is why I gave the speech the way I did. But, you know, I also, I don't, I think I'm too insecure to be arrogant <laughs> <laughs> because I'm, I'm constantly, constantly questioning my own self-value, constantly. So, it's, I yes, you have an ego when you get into broadcasting, but that doesn't mean that it's an out-of-control ego. And, um, you know, I, I don't, I don't think I'm arrogant. Uh, and I think people who work with me over the years would, would say that, but it's a constant, it is a worry. So there's this weird, again, another push and pull within me that is like, you know, don't be arrogant. Don't, don't be self-important. And at the same time, I'm like, oh my God, I'm nobody. You know, <laughs> well, how, how can you be arrogant when you think you're a nobody? But, but I think that like the, the questioning helps us because <clears throat> with the people that I work with, a lot of them, and myself included, can be all or nothing, right? It's like, right. I do this or I don't do it, right? Totally all or nothing. And it's, so it's like, I'm either arrogant or I'm self-deprecating. But I think when we ask questions, we're in that other area that's really, gr- it's either you can call it the gray area or the world of color, right? And there's so yeah. much in there. And it's, and it's hard because it's not an endpoint where black and white is an endpoint. <laughs> Right. And so there's there's a lot of space in between this black and white. And I think that's where the questioning can be really helpful because, you know, it doesn't take too many steps to get to arrogance. Right. Because we both right. know arrogant people. But and it doesn't take too many steps to fall into self-deprecating. So when we can question, you know, and really be willing to listen to our own answers and listen to those who've earned the right to you know, give us feedback. Not everybody has earned yeah. the right, but those who've earned the right, right, like your family and friends that you were asking, right? I think that helps us kind of maintain an, an alignment with ourselves. Yes, absolutely. Totally agree. And, you know, I guess, I mean, I've asked myself that question numerous times over the years just because I did have a very high-profile job and you want to keep yourself in check. Mm-hmm. But... Again, you know, I guess I'm just, I'm just insecure enough, 
even even though I had like this great job and you know I have a great life, um, but you know just rampant insecurity, and I think that 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 serves to function a function of really keeping your your ego in check quite a bit mm-hmm. um, when you're constantly asking yourself, uh, "What did I do to deserve all this?" there's a um a couple years ago i watched this talk and it was by bruce springsteen it was a south by southwest it was on npr but um and he talked to he was it was the south by southwest for musicians and they in and i don't know if you're a bruce springsteen fan i have become one because of my husband but he puts on an amazing concert like the last one we went to was like three and a half hours long you know he's what 62 or 63 he's running around constantly and i'm like this man is incredibly fit. He's picking up people, uh, you know, off the ground. And I just can't believe it. <laughs> but the thing about Springsteen is he never starts out like just kicking butt. Like he kind of gets going, right? He's, he's more about sustainability than I think about, you know, making a big bang in the beginning. Well, when oh. I was watching him speak, I'm like, oh my gosh, he's not a good speaker. But as the speech went on, it got better. But this is how he, and he talked about his career. It was really fascinating to listen to his own mindset because I'm very interested in that of people. But in the end, he goes, so rumble, young musicians, rumble. Believe you're the baddest ass in town and that you suck. And I was like, wow. Because just like you have this, you know, this dichotomy in your own mind, here's this like, you know, I mean, Talk about success. I mean, we would put Springsteen on oh, the ultimate, yeah. right? World history book. <clears throat> yeah, decades and decades of sustainability in the music industry, which is not easy. <laughs> and and he has this mindset, and, and it was like, well, I can do this. Oh my gosh, what if I can't? And that's and and that probably that's another reason I gravitated toward your talk was it was here's everybody has doubt. We have that. It's yeah. not like once you achieve a certain level. You know, because even if when you get really successful, you're like, oh, my gosh, can I top that? Can I do, you know, what? what's yeah. next? What are people going to say? Yeah. Oh, she, you oh know, she didn't quite make it through. Especially the what are people going to say part. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I even, uh, my parents are my best friends. I adore them. Just 100% could not love them more. And as I said earlier, still so lucky to have both of them around. Um, but I'm already, as I'm exploring whether I want to potentially leave journalism, mm-hmm. leave radio, they're still saying, you know, oh, but you're so good at it. And, but what if you miss the microphone? And, but this, but that, but, 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 but. And I get that and I understand that. But what I want to hear is totally cool, whatever you want to do, mm-hmm. you know? Not not a worry that the next thing I find isn't gonna isn't gonna satisfy me, because um, that again again I love them and it's, it's really nothing and, and it's just because they're my parents and they want me to be happy and they know that I'm happy behind a microphone. But if I go and do something completely different, uh, I know that they will support me. But right now, what they're doing is questioning mm-hmm. whether uh, whether I really want to go do something different. Um, and you know, my friends are doing the same thing. Mm-hmm. It's not that they're not supporting me, but I think the first instinct is to say, just keep going with what you're really, really good at. Mm-hmm. When, you know, I don't know, I'm, I might be done. Mm-hmm. I might be done with that. I might be ready for something really, really new. Um, and you know, that's one thing that I have learned just out of this whole experience is that, my next friend who wants to go and do something totally different, all I'm going to say is rock on. Mm-hmm. Rock on. Do it. And I'll come visit you wherever you are. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and, you know, I think it's, as I said in the speech, people don't know what to say to you. Mm-hmm. They don't know. They, all they want to do is be supportive but sometimes that support comes off as, you know, happy talk mm-hmm. and you can do it. And I know you're going to be awesome. And the next thing is right around the corner. And I just <laughs> want to say, shut up. You know, I never would because I, they're, they're my dear friend. Um, but you just want to say, just, you know, just 
let me be kind of down right now. Mm-hmm. It's not a fun place to be, and I know I'm Debbie Downer, but I just kind of got to do this for the next 48 hours. Mm-hmm. And I think we should also have the freedom and feel the freedom to say that to our friends. Mm-hmm. Uh, because I have. I did a couple of times over the last nine, ten months, and that's all they needed to hear. And they were like, okay, fine. Let's just go get a drink, and we're not even going to talk about it. Mm-hmm. Cool. Great. Um, and so that's something that I have learned and that I plan to put into practice with, you know, anyone I know who ends up going through this same thing. Uh, sometimes you just got to leave well enough alone mm-hmm. and you got to understand that people are in a bad place for a little while. And it doesn't mean that they're going to be down forever for weeks yes. or for months. They just want to chill. They just want to, they just want to be okay with just having a few bad days. And it might be a few. It might be more than two. You know, it might be a few. And it, um, and it may be a while of ups and downs, but it doesn't mean that they're going to, yeah. you know, like a good friend of mine says this. She's like, you know, you can have your little pity party. Just don't pitch a tent and have a campfire and bring everybody there and stay there forever. Right. Don't pitch I a tent. I love that. Yes. I love that. And, and so like, yeah. and nowadays, you know, when people go through hard things, I'm like, you know, I can see that it really sucks. <laughs> and I, and I yeah. say, I can see that it really sucks, you know? And, um, but I don't, I know that, you know, I'm not trying, I think sometimes we as friends, we want to help them move out of that process so fast, but they need to go through the grieving process. Yes, 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 exactly. And so that's something that I am going to respect for Mm -hmm. from now on. And and I'll recognize it, I Mm -hmm. think. And it's not something I, I, I don't think I would have recognized it before because, I've never been through it because mm-hmm. um, my life for 20 plus years was just go, go, go. And from one job to the other and from one highly successful job to the other. So I have learned, I think a lot about how I will help other people get through this. And sometimes that's by stepping back and not trying to help. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Not you know fixing I mean? it, not trying to be the fixer. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Not try to exactly. take the pain away. It's like, you know, and that's the thing, because I, I used to be the ultimate fixer. Let me just fix it. You have a problem. Let me fix it. Let me fix it. Um, but part of the, the resilience and part of the growth goes through the struggle. And part of, I think, being the good friend or the family member is saying, you know what? I still love you. I still care about you. I am here. I'm not going to leave you. And right now I see yeah. that this sucks. And I, you can, you know what? It's okay. Have your pity party. We're just not going to pitch a tent and live there. Yes. Yes, absolutely. And I think that's a hard lesson to learn because your natural instinct, as I said before, is to rah-rah mm-hmm. and, and try to rally somebody. And sometimes you just, you just want to live in the goop. Yep. And that's okay. That's okay. And that's something I've learned is that that is okay because it's part of a process. And I, you know, I don't know if it's the whole... Kubler-Ross grieving steps. Maybe it is, you know, to some extent, you know, the denial and the fears and and all that and acceptance. Um, But whatever it is, it just, it doesn't all have to be pretty. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And it's okay if it's not. Yeah. So. And that's something I had to learn. Well, but I, but I think we learn it as we go through stuff, right? I mean, we can learn things intellectually, right? right? I'm really smart intellectually. And then it's like, oh, I have to put this into practice? Come on. Exactly. Can't I just say what I know? Do I really have to live this way? <laughs> exactly. So, so life throws us some curveballs just to make sure we can practice. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> just make sure we can still bat. Yeah. So Tess, before we go, do you have a couple takeaways for the listeners today? Um, well, I've, I've kind of outlined a couple as, we, as we've gone along, but, um, you know, one, one of the things that I talked about it toward the end of my speech was that one thing I wish I had done, which I did not do, is do a little bit of dreaming while I was in my dream job. Mm-hmm. Um, I just never bothered. And again, there's this push, push and pull of, you don't have to have this big plan. You don't have to have the, the five-point plan, the five-year plan. You don't have to have a big dream out there. But I do think it, there is some value 
and I wish that I had, um, to stepping back while you're in whatever career you're in and thinking about what you like and what you don't like and how you might apply that to whatever does come next. Mm-hmm. It's not, again, it's not that you have to have a big plan, but I wish I had thought more about what other things I might want to do um, and, and really thought about them, not just kind of, you know, in a daydream, but mm-hmm. really thought about them. Um, so that's one thing that that is, has been a takeaway for me, is that I wish I had thought about that more. Mm-hmm. Um, and second of all, to be okay with that up and down process. Because while I was in it, all the way up until the speech, and again, this is why this speech and the reaction to it have literally changed my life. Um, while I was in that process, I felt bad about it. I felt really, really bad that A, I couldn't, I couldn't get myself to just go and find another job. Mm-hmm. And B, I couldn't just be happy with this decision that I had made. Mm-hmm. It was my decision. It was nobody else's. You got to own it. Mm-hmm. But you don't. You know, you, you got to give yourself permission, as I said in the speech, to grieve what mm-hmm. you've left. And it's not necessarily what you've lost. It's what you've left. Um, or, you know, if it's a layoff instead of a voluntary departure like mine, certainly give yourself some time to grieve that loss. But you also, you know, you just have to be okay with the fact that it's a process. And it may take a while. Mm-hmm. And don't feel like you have to be happy talk all the time. <laughs> Thank goodness. <laughs> you know, exactly. And I guess those are a few things that that I've taken away from all this and that I'm still trying to learn. Um, you know, as I said, two days after getting this huge book deal, I was like, oh, my God, it's never going to be as good as a speech. And I mean, the self-doubt is just rampant. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also have to learn that that's okay. And that's just part of me. And that's just part of who I am. Um, but that maybe next time recognize it a little earlier and also give yourself room to say, hey, you know, that was really courageous what you did and it was cool and you know it's going to be okay, but be okay with the ups and downs, but also know that what you did was a pretty pretty cool thing that a lot of people wish they could do. Yeah, and it's been quite the journey. It has. <laughs> And it's not over. It's not over. Absolutely not. <laughs> well, Tess, thank you so much for being a guest today. It really was a pleasure talking with you. Oh, it's been entirely my pleasure. And thank you for the great questions. You know, these kinds of questions make me have to think about all this too. So uh, that's why there were a lot of like, pregnant, pregnant pauses where I was like, <laughs> oh, how do I answer that question? <laughs> Um, but it's really just been truly a pleasure and, um, I, you know, I wish everyone the best on their journeys and, um, you know, just let yourself, let it roll, let it roll. Right. There we go. Well, thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to how she really does it. I invite you to subscribe to my weekly newsletter at how she really does it.com. I do this show each week for you so you can now see the windows of possibilities in your own life. I believe there are many journeys for us to take. We can learn from others to see what is possible for ourselves. I believe there are possibilities for all of us, not just the ones who've acquired great success, but including those of us who have stumbled, lost our way, or only saw closed doors. With this show, maybe you can now see a glimmer coming through the windows. I call that the windows of possibility. Each week, I bring a guest who represents those possibilities. They too have had their own struggles and uncertainty, yet somehow they have found their way. My guests are an example of what is possible when you continue, when you learn, leap, fall down, and get back up. I invite you into this space 
so you can ask yourself, if that is possible for them, what is possible for me? Really ask yourself that. I would love to connect with you. Please join me at www.howshereallydoesit.com. And thanks for listening today. On a lake, she is dreaming. She is drifting, never been so wide awake.